HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome! Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's 5 oh o'clock somewhere, God. and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat yes, Johnson. Hi, Kat. We have Katie Mosman Wadler. What's up? We have Hannah Forden. Sorry for yelling. <laughs> That's okay. And We're excited. We have Matt Patterson. Not sorry for yelling. What a rare treat to have all four, all 100% of the HRN full time staff on one show. 100%. What a number. And it's our 100th episode you guys what a number okay 100 episodes remember when we started this show we were like what are we even doing we were like what happens here why aren't we still in the office where we should really be (laughs) there's what do you mean we need to leave the office for one hour every thursday (laughs) how can we be here but now i can't imagine thursdays without happy hour and we were like what should we call it what should we do and we're like i don't know have something to drink Okay. Right. We're like, if we have to leave at 4.45 on a Thursday. And go sit in Roberta's. And go to Roberta's, we need to drink Absolutely. some beer or yeah. some wine. We started with pitchers. That was like our go-to for a while. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, nah, I want orange wine. Yeah, we really have been <laughs> leaning heavily into the orange wine on happy hour. But sometimes we mix it up. Yeah. And you guys had a special happy hour on Tuesday. Oh, wow, did we ever. Wait, it was some exotic so special. beverages. We, we had gin, but let me tell you how we had the gin. We had it on oysters. Of course you did. Cold smoked oysters. <laughs> Luckily, there's job, no smoke detector. has got to do it. The studio has never smelled better. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> would walk in afterwards. They're like, campfire? Was there a campfire <laughs> in the studio? Like, yes. Basically. Um, I mean, but like, it fits right in with other things we've done in the studio. 
Um, other smoking activities? Well, there have been many other smoking activities um, with, with tastings of non-tobacco cigarettes that have happened in the studio. Um, we also have had a sushi conveyor belt in the studio. Yeah. We've had a 10-piece marching band in the studio. A little indie band called Freelance Wells in the studio one We've time. even right. had dogs in the studio. We have what? a dog in the studio right now. Daisy, tell them what you think about that. Uh, congratulations on your 100th episode, but also uh, Tuesday is my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to buy her a present. Well, attention hound you. Yes. Everyone should, uh, who's listening should go ahead and make a donation in Daisy Buchanan's <gasps> name to celebrate Ooh. her birthday. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. <laughs> Thank you very much. Slash donate for Daisy. <laughs> That's not a real URL. Don't donate. go to it. Slash donate. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we've got some other folks in the studio. We do, but first we of all, have... shout out to Amanda Wang, That's our engineer. That's what I was doing. Okay. I was going to say the stalwart, Amanda <laughs> Wang. Thank you for being our engineer. What's up? How's your Thursday? It's great. It's our 100th episode. Can I'm very believe? excited. Uh, we're very, very excited. I am like in just total disbelief. So excited we're not going to talk about anything else for the whole time it's That's just gonna be true. like wow 100 no Amazing. it's about to get way more exciting because we also have a special guest joining us in studio this week That's welcome your welcome welcome to john troutman from empathy wines Yay. i am Woo. so honored thank you so much 100 <laughs> did you know that you were coming on to our 100th episode or did ah, we spring this on you this was news to me <laughs> I wish I could tell you I knew, but that's that's quite all right. You know, we really like to take our guests by surprise on Nature Unhappy Hour. Um, we're gonna do it again in a little bit. Well, he's listened to an episode. Oh, so you so know, yeah, it's gonna happen. Everyone. Yeah, You're, he's yeah. prepared. I'm prepared. So now yeah. I'm glad we did have a surprise because we, yeah, we we want to do something off off the rails. Right. Yeah, we like to keep our guests on their toes. Keep yeah. me on my toes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, before we get into announcements and some headlines. Um, why don't we talk about one of the wines that you brought? I would love that. Yeah. I'm thirsty. Me too. We're there are happy three hour. bottles in front of you. We have three bottles in front of us. Where have, should we start? I, you know, it's like 80 degrees and sunny out in New York in the fall, so I feel like rosé season is still here. Should we drink some rosé? Yes. All right. Yes, snaps for Yes, rose. way. Awesome. <laughs> I love this time of year because you're right. It's like it started out really chilly this morning. I put on my tillet jumpsuit to walk to work because I was like, yep, it's jumpsuit season. But now it's like I walked over here and it was nice and warm and you can, you can wear a jumpsuit but also sandals. The cornflower blue jumpsuit is just like Gorgeous. the happiest, prettiest thing. Shout out to Jenny and Alex. Yes. Um, I have to wear my powder puff pink jumpsuit in here one of these days because it's pretty much the same color as this one you better okay so what so, are we drinking yes so you're drinking a little rosé this is the very first vintage of our wine mm. 2018 um you nailed it in the way you described the color which we intentionally made a little bit of a darker rosé i feel like the market trend is super 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 light mm -hmm. i won't name any of the cliche ones but uh -huh. they're but borderline white wine and so we intentionally kind of bucked that trend, added a little bit of color and extra skin contact to it. And uh, and so, yeah, this is the first vintage. Uh, this is out of California. We source all our grapes from Lodi, Mendocino, and Lake County. Uh, very juicy, fresh style. We wanted to make it with uh, kind of that porch pounder style, something that mm. you can drink plenty of and open a second <laughs> porch bottle. Porch pounder. That's porch pounder. is my new, new crushable. To me and yes. Yeah. I'm going to start saying Porch Pounder. Porch I think Pounder. that might have to be the name of our band. 
I like that. I like that. Mm-hmm. Can we drink rosé on the porch while we have our breakfast? Okay. Done. Can I play the drums? Yes. Okay. You're hired. I mean, we have to come to connect. You're the only one who has a porch. Otherwise, oh, it's a stoop pounder boy, or do a I fire have a escape porch. pounder. We would not fit on my fire escape. <laughs> <laughs> we got this. We have a whole plan. Awesome. Um, okay. So, Band is Incorporated. I think it has to be bluegrass. Yeah, of course. Because, like, porch pounding also makes me think of this. Like, oh, yeah. Are you going to do the, I'll, like, tap shoes? I'll uh, play the wall. washboard. Way, yeah. to, way to mime a thing that is would be audio for radio. Good job. Like, you were gonna, you're, you're referring to a thing that makes sound, and you're like, but I'll do it silently for the listeners. We always, we'll put it on our Instagram story later. <laughs> it's fine. Um, okay, but I want to talk more about this wine. Um, it's very juicy. Very juicy. So good. Very, uh, very porch pounderish. Very refreshing. Um, this is uh, so the blend: it's Grenache, Syrah, so kind of like those classic Provence-style grapes, uh, with a little Pinot Noir and Barbera Ooh. Italian grape. Barbera. Oh, yeah, yeah. Adds a little, uh, which you don't see a ton of Barbera in California, but the vineyard site we were really excited about, and hmm. yeah, decided to do a little bit of a unique blend. So they already had the vines established for Barbera yep. when you went to the vineyard. Yep. So cool. these uh, Barbera in Lake County. Um, so we work with four different growers. Um, this was one of the vineyard sites that we were super psyched about and kind of a grape we wanted to shine a little bit of a spotlight on too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I've had a Barbera rosé in a rosé. Bless mm-hmm. you, Daisy. We have a sneezing <laughs> doggo down here. I know. It's almost your birthday. Um, She's thirsty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, shall we sip on this delicious wine while we go through our announcements? Well, we've already covered one announcement, which is our 100th episode. The most important announcement. Woo woo. Second announcement is our gala is coming up, and we just had a very long and productive conversation about planning that gala. That's why our heads are still spinning around. That's why we need to at home. You can't see this, but we... Uh, have picked up on that, like, turning our heads around like an owl, except it just keeps going. Like a cartoon owl, that's what our heads are doing. Also, the smoke coming out of our ears. Yeah. You also can't see that, but um, it's kind of like this cold-smoked oyster. That's what my, we'll my put brain it on is right story. now. Cold-smoked teenager <laughs> and brains. Yeah. But to be perfectly serious, you guys, I could not be more excited for our gala this year. As most of our listeners know, it's our 10th anniversary, so we're planning, like, the biggest, best party extravaganza ever and it's like it's our really chef, coming together it's our amazing. chef list is just has just been posted on the event yeah page can we tease a Facebook. few of the chefs i was just thinking that we should like shout out a few yes should we for listeners of this show tell them about the dish that zine sent today yeah i think we should okay park avenue autumn guys is going to be doing a savory miso caramel apple with benton's bacon for our event um, so you're welcome and tickets are at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala uh, we Run, also have like we have all these chefs coming into town from out of town which is super cool we've got Todd Richards and Cedric McCrary coming all the way from Atlanta we've got the lovely Marjorie Meek Bradley coming from St. Anselm DC to represent here in New York and we have a ton of hometown favorites we've got Momofuku Nishi we have the brand new Winston Bakery we have a really cool collaboration between Marta and Daily Provisions which I'm so excited for. Um, Marlo and Daughters. Marlo and Daughters. Otto. So many. It's going to be... Sacks will be cheese. So good. Cesare, Casella, Casella Salumi. How are we going to eat it all? I'm so hungry. 
Yeah, not to mention we're going to have amazing cocktails, custom designed by our in-house cocktail talent. I'm sure you can guess who I'm talking about. You, you may have heard you of them You may have before. heard of them. Um, we're going to have a, a fabulous natural wine spread. We might even have some Ersters. It's going to be amazing. Oh my God, Ersters. <laughs> Ersters. Um, but it's really like a night not to be missed, especially with the 10th anniversary. Um, our Hall of Fame honorees um, are going to be in attendance, um, those of them who can who can make it out. Um, and these really are the most brilliant, influential um, people working in the food system right now. And we get to hang out with them and drink sparkling wine and eat delicious cheese and you should join us because and and so do you yeah you should join us because they're going to be amazing it's going to be an amazing night um it's it's even though it's a lot of people it feels very intimate so you Mm -hmm. really do get to like chat with a lot of people meet all the chefs well someone we talked to today on the phone who i won't name but who goes to a lot of galas throughout the year said that our gala is the best because it's not stuffy it's really fun the food's amazing not to brag on ourselves but it's someone who knows a thing or two about galas yes a connoisseur of galas absolutely okay heritageradionetwork.org slash gala go get your tickets (laughs) that's where it is early bird discount goes until october 11th so 10th 10th 10th, so don't miss out on that extra special discount so sweet okay well quick headlines and then we got to talk more about wine yep we have places to be uh, can we get our headlines jazz? There we go. Thank you. <laughs> On Feast Meets West this week, you can hear from Emmeline Zhao and Simone Tong, the chef owner and GM of Little Tong, Little Tong Noodle Shop, and the soon-to-be-opened Silver Apricot. They talk about their own culinary progression and about Chinese-American foods coming of age, a clear distinction from the American-Chinese food born from economic necessity. Allie Kane this week talked to Oatly's USGM Mike Messersmith on In the Sauce. Oatly soared to popularity so quickly it literally created an oat milk black market. (laughs) Mike shared his wisdom on all things operations, innovation, business strategy, sales, and hiring, and how he handled the great oat milk drought of 2018. And this week on The Farm Report, which is now... Down in D.C., we're super excited. Thanks, Jack. Um, so Lisa Held, the host, was sat down with the Little Wild Things Farms, Little Wild Things Farms founder, Mary Ackley. They Good job. T- thank you. Sorry, talking is hard. Um, so they spoke about Mary's journey as a first-generation farmer and her work producing soil-grown microgreen shoes and edible flowers in the heart of the city for the biggest markets and top restaurants in D.C. So we missed you here in Brooklyn, Lisa, but we're so excited about all of your amazing D.C. content. That just reminded me of that really, really awful joke of, like, panda walks into a bar, eats, shoots, and leaves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like there's supposed to be more to that joke, and maybe that's all of it. It's, like, cute and really dark at the same time. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that. No, that is the joke because that's what they eat. Have you ever seen the video of the of the panda mom who has the baby and the zookeeper like hands it an apple and it like drops the baby and it's like I don't Amanda's seen it. It's like a mom can be tricked by literally an apple and they take the baby. There's actually a recent one that I just saw, like another panda mom trying to like hold onto her baby and the guard just like slips it a carrot and she's like ooh carrot and then the guard just grabs the baby away. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Like not maybe not the I best mean, mother or 
that's a priority. Yeah. This is instincts. why pandas are endangered. Yeah, exactly. Get what you deserve. Oh, they've gotten off topic. Ouch. Okay, harsh, harsh words from Matt Patterson. Well, Anti-panda we'll, we'll, we'll over try, here. We'll try the apple and carrot test on Katie and see how she does. <laughs> I have high aspirations, well, the, but I'm not sure. Will the apple perform. be miso glazed? Yeah. Does it have yeah. Benton's bacon on it? Because that's just not fair. <laughs> um, okay. John, tell us a little bit more about Empathy Wines, how it all got started, and who you're in business with. And what's in a name? Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, uh, so this is our first vintage. Uh, the three wines we have in front of us are rosé, a white, and a red. Uh, the business idea and the concept started a couple of years ago. Um, so my background was originally in the wine industry. Um, so I worked as a sommelier. Uh, eventually was studying through that system, the Court of Master Sommeliers. Uh, and came across this crazy guy on the internet who was <laughs> who reviewing <laughs> reviewing wines on YouTube uh, <laughs> and, and describing them in crazy ways. Uh, a guy by the name of Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, so this was a little over 10 years ago. Uh, and long story short, I uh, sent him a couple of Twitter messages, a uh, couple emails. Next thing you know, I picked up and moved to New York and worked with him uh, at some early stage wine startups, a social network called Corked, uh, which was in the this early days of social Cork networking. Cork apostrophe D, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love that you even knew it. Um, we try. Awesome. And then uh, later, Daily Grape, which is a mobile mm. wine video show back in 2010. So early, early days of the iPhone era. Um, and then later, I've worked in media with him for, uh, for largely the last decade um, in the marketing and brand building side. Um, I was getting the itch to get back into wine. And so one night over a few bottles of wine, we started throwing ideas around um, just about like what the, we thought the wine world was missing, um, what, how we thought we could benefit consumers, um, what's a little bit screwed up with the industry, and is there anything that we could kind of break in it um and then we ultimately landed on the business model that is now empathy wines i noticed a, you said break and not disrupt yes I, I hate that buzzword and so i try at all costs to avoid it yeah oh, okay yeah. i appreciate that <laughs> so yeah i substitute that um and so so yeah so we started empathy wines which is um i, I will use a buzzword now a direct-to-consumer uh winery based out of california um where what does our, that mean what does that mean? What's so, the difference between a typical wine label and direct-to-consumer? Yeah, so in the U.S., uh, the way the wine system mostly works uh, is wineries make wine. Uh, they then sell that wine to distributors uh, that exist in each and every state. Um, and distributors are mostly required by law. So they exist as kind of one layer of the, the middleman puzzle. Uh, then those distributors sell to retailers and so wine shops. Uh, and then ultimately it gets to you. Um, and so when you think about that, just economics 101, everybody takes a little bit of a profit along the way. Next thing you know, that bottle of wine that started at the winery that maybe was $5 at the winery sold is ultimately ends up $20, $25, $30, depending on just how much markup they want to make along the way. Um, and so it makes that wine really, really expensive. Um, and we basically said, how do we find a way to circumvent all of that? Uh, in order to make a really great product for a better price. So how do you circumvent that? Because like you said, distribution is required by law in most states. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the the laws change almost every day. Um, cool. Yeah, very, very complex <laughs> system. 
Um, the good news is they've gotten more and more liberal for wineries. Um, so where now, if, if you're licensed in a certain way, um, winery in California can sell to, today I think it's 42 of the 50 states, um, directly to consumers. Um, and cool. so, yeah, which is, it's really difficult to apply for 42 different licenses. Um, so first six months of getting this business started, we spent a lot of time with lawyers, a lot of time doing research and homework to figure out just how do we set this up in, in the best and smartest way. Oof. Yeah. So any winery in California, if they're trying to ship wine to people across the country, they're having to literally apply for different permits in each state they're shipping to? That's exactly right. Yeah. Bonkers. And yeah. How I didn't many, realize How that. many of them do this? Yeah. So. In, in all, like, 42 great states. Yeah. It's a great question. There are very few wineries, especially at the smaller, more independent level, mm -hmm. um, that are doing it. Um, the vast majority of the really big conglomerates will set it up. Um, but their primary focus tends not to be direct to consumer. Right. Um, because these are wines that you could find in the supermarket or at, you know, a, a state liquor store, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And so sometimes, especially at the more independent winery level, they'll apply for maybe eight, 10 of the, the biggest states where they see opportunities and where people drink wine, New York, they Massachusetts, just go for, like, Texas. sales volume yep. potential, basically? Okay. Yeah. And some of them will do it not by the book and just slip it in the mail and mm, yeah see but what <laughs> see that's yeah. what i was wondering like yeah. if you go to like a small place in napa and they're like yeah we'll, we'll ship it to you yeah we'll find a way Sorry to get it. get it to your doorstep yeah um, wink and a smile yeah okay. somebody you know might might have been a friend might have been me um <laughs> tried to mail some beer pretty unsuccessfully um kind of recently yeah. and uh when it doesn't go well it really it's, it's not that great just because it was actually intercepted or because it um, exploded? Well, it, all of the above. Okay. All the th bad things that could have happened happened. All and I can see why you want to do it by the book. Especially in the summer months, that smelly beer. Ooh. Yeah. Also, the friends who were on the receiving end of that were, like, not that thrilled either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of problems can happen if you don't do it correctly. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, or my friend uh, is just an individual. And uh, for a company, I can see that being really problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to shift gears a little bit because I think it's really cool that you have this, like, marketing and branding background as well as a wine background. And looking at the bottles from Empathy they're absolutely lovely and beautiful. And first of all, like empathy is one of those words that can be thrown around a lot, but I still find it very meaningful, especially when it has to do with the food system, because that is an element that a lot of companies are kind of missing. Um, so can you kind of talk about a, the design, because it's very chic and minimalist, but also kind of warm and welcoming. Um, and then, yeah, why, I mean, Katie mentioned this before, like what's in a name for you? Why, why empathy? Yeah. Um, I'll start with the packaging. You used the word that I always used to describe it, which is minimalist. That was really by design, um, where you walk into a wine shop, um, and oftentimes there's anywhere from 7,500, 300 different options for you to choose from. Um, and a lot of studies have been done that people pretty much buy wine for two different reasons. First, the price point. They come in with a very specific number they want to spend, 15, 20, 30 bucks. Uh, and then second is the label itself. Um, and so a lot of the time you see these really loud labels that are geared to stand out on a shelf among a sea of other options. Mm -hmm. 
for us, when we were kind of designing the packaging and thinking about the branding, we said, that's not even an issue for us uh, because we're not going to be on shelves. We're only, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're only selling uh, through our website. And so with that, we said, let's go counterculture, mm -hmm. go against everything else and just go super uh, clean and simple. Mm -hmm. um, There's no glitter on it. No glitter on it. Or, or goats on it, because Hannah likes wine with goats on it. Okay, I'm partial to goats. But yeah. also, there's just, like, a little sparkly metallic heart next to the word empathy. Like, it's just, I think minimalism can be kind of alienating for mm -hmm. people. Sometimes they're like, oh, like, I'm not chic enough for minimalism. But, like, this is, it's very, like, it's approachable minimalist, which is lovely. Well, thank you. Thank you. I might steal that, actually. Approachable minimalist. <laughs> it's yours. I like yeah. it. For a small fee. We'll, we'll, we'll trade you porch pounding. Is that what? Porch, yes, Porch for a <laughs> Seems like a fair trade to me. Um, wait, wait, wait. But also the name. Yeah. The name. Yeah. So the word empathy was something that uh, our co-founder Gary uses a ton about. And so I think it's just a principle that he has always kind of touted and loves. Uh, but more importantly, when we broke down the business model, we were like, you know, we're being empathetic to the consumer for the reason I described where ultimately want to provide a really great wine and a great price for them. Um, the thing I haven't touched on though is empathy for the farmer. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, outside of like really, really geeky wine circles where people are in the industry and really know their stuff, um, they talk about the farmer all the time and the person that is ultimately growing the grapes and um, killing themselves in the vineyard. Uh, but we realize most consumers, they just drink wine as if it's just a consumable, right? It's just something that they're drinking sometimes to just get a buzz. Um, but they don't really think about all the work that goes in to make a really high quality wine. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us, we wanted to bring them to the forefront, um, even more arguably, even more importantly than the winemaker, because those people tend to be celebrities sometimes in wine circles. Um, we said, let's go like a step further and actually tell the story of these people behind the wine. Um, and so a big part of our marketing efforts, especially heading into the next year will be on those people and telling their story a little bit. Awesome. That's really exciting. Yeah. Um, wait, I had a question and then I lost it. <laughs> well, why don't Come we, back to me. why don't we, it was about farmers. Why don't we try yeah. another one of the wines? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Take a little quick break. Wait, are you pouring me this? I okay. was just going to offer you this. Yeah. Okay, great. We are swapping rosé because sharing is caring. That's right. All right, so John's going to pour us the next wine. It looks like a white wine to me, but you know, I'm a beginner, so I don't know. <laughs> um, we're not gonna, are we going to do the blind tasting where you have to say if it's white or red, and we're going to chill it all down to the same temperature? So, John, I've heard Ooh. this, that people, if you actually do blind tasting, most people couldn't tell but the difference between like a white and a red. Is that true? Ooh, you know, no. I, I think a really lighter-bodied uh, a lighter bodied red wine, you'd have a tricky time with especially something that doesn't necessarily have tannin um but i think yeah i think a lot of the time you could stump somebody especially if a re that red wine is served with a little bit of a chill to it yeah you could fool some people totally. okay tell us about this one yeah so we we just released this wine uh two months ago so in the summer months um it is this is a really funky kind of fun blend oh funky is my absolute mm -hmm. number one keyword awesome love that um, that's another buzzword in wine that you see a lot, but I actually love it too. I, I'm not, I'm not tired of it yet. Yep. Um, so this is Chenin Blanc, uh, Grenache Blanc, uh, Viognier and, uh, Chardonnay. 
So, okay. and then a splash of Albarino in there, too. Ooh. All, yeah. the, all, all the great ones. ones. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's everything beautiful rolled into one. Not a blend you see a lot of mm-hmm. altogether. Uh, but, and yet it's like a, it's like a symphony. They all play together. Aww. And yeah. sorry if you've covered this, but are they all blends? These are all blends, okay. yeah. Um, and we did that very intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um one, because it gave us a little bit of flexibility year over year to source right. different fruit, um, but also go with like a house style. So the wines aren't going to radically change next year. You won't taste yeah. and be like, that tastes nothing like the previous vintage. Uh, but it gives us the flexibility to make the best quality wine every year. Yeah. So this is another super juicy wine. Is that something that is sort of part of the aesthetic of Empathy Wines in general? It definitely is. Yeah. This is uh, juicy, approachable um, it's got a touch of sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. So there's even just a little residual sugar in it. Um, we, I think wine's first obligation to consumers is to be delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, it was like a lot of the wines that I'll tend to drink having been in the wine industry are going to skew more savory and really have kind of some of those more earthy qualities. And we're like for 99% of people, they're not going to necessarily gravitate towards that. Instead, we said, how do we... Uh, make a really high quality wine that's going to have broad appeal. And yet I feel like I could pour this for a lot of New York City sommeliers and they're going to say, oh yeah, that's that's delicious. Like mm-hmm. I'll have a glass of that. Um, it's not to say that we've dumbed down the wine. Uh, we just right. wanted to make something that was really delicious. And uh, yeah. I mean, it might be that like, like there's a chill in the air right now. It's starting to feel like fall. But this is a really versatile wine that like you can see this being a hot, your hot summer day have with fish wine. But I also like... I have some pumpkin gnocchi in my fridge that I'm excited mm. to cook, and I, I want to drink this with that and some sage and butter, and I think it would work really well throughout a lot of different seasons. I like that pairing. Can it's I, got some creaminess Can I come over for it. dinner? You're invited. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> While we have our first meeting of our band, the Porch Pounders, on my porch. Here we go. It's happening. Um, so give us kind of like a play-by-play of if you want to buy empathy wines what does that purchase process look like it's different from going to your wine shop and buying a bottle of wine yep so for 99 percent of you uh head over to empathywines.com we can ship to 42 of those 100 states um it's a pretty seamless straightforward experience uh we have two warehouses that we ship out of so california and new york um so typically two to three day shipping it arrives right at your door pretty simple straightforward um, and we have just started a little bit of restaurant distribution too. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah. So where are the restaurants? Uh, so Seymour's. Oh, uh, yeah. Speaking yeah. of fish pairings. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so they picked up uh, our rosé to pair with a couple items over there. Awesome. Yeah. We're um, we're over at the new Catch restaurants that just opened. Catch steak and yeah. fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then we actually just got in distribution about a week ago. So we have a few more on the horizon, but Yay. nothing official. Yeah. Cool. Congratulations. Thank you. That's big. Thanks. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, will folks at restaurants be able to build an awareness that if they want this wine, they have to go online for it? Like, d- are, I haven't seen the back of the label. Um, if they order a bottle, will it be clear how to get more? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're doing a ton of fuss fun stuff too with text messaging so making it really yeah pretty soon on the horizon where you can literally just text us can i just text wine to you slash empathy and like it will magically appear that's pretty much the process yeah really really the future is awesome yeah and pretty soon i have to wait like if I text you, we'll be there in five It appears. John, wine. That's twenty twenty one, it'll be drone service. <laughs> oh, yes. <seriously. laughs> Will they cork it for me? 
that will be the dream. Yeah. 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 Well, I noticed that you have QR codes on the back of a wine label, which, I mean, I, I think I've seen before, but it's definitely not a common thing. Yeah. Q, we tested the QR codes for the first couple wines. You'll notice on the red wine. You don't have it anymore? It's Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We moved over so to Texas. So that's, that's what you're I prefer yeah. that. I you, honestly still, like, every time I have to do the QR code, it's a whole production. I, like, think I have to download a new app every time. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, nobody really wants to use QR codes. It never codes. caught on the way it yeah. was meant to. Yeah. It's supposed to be the seamless thing, and it just feels, I think also because, like, a lot of us in here are iPhone users. Yeah. Um, where it's not like built in, so it just feels like a project. Yeah. But the, ne- the texting is like, I'm I'm signing up for that. I love it. Awesome. I'm just so resistant to like new forms of uh, using my phone. I spend probably 30 minutes a day just yelling about how much I hate Facebook. So yeah, we were all talking earlier about, about how we're like the worst millennials. Does Apple have some sort of anti QR code stance? Because Google, it's you just, just take in, a picture right? yeah, of no, a QR code and it says, No, it's yeah, the same thing. Wait, really? Yeah. Maybe it just never works when I do it. You have, an, you have to have an app, right? No. No. no? Like Google, on the Google camera, phones, you just take a picture. Take a picture. Done. Is iPhone like that or no? I don't think so. That's why. We can test it. They are. Okay. They, I yeah. think, really? Yeah, they do. just nobody knows it. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I think I thought that I knew that it worked on Droid phones and not iPhones. Huh. Yeah. I just have to say, I think I as like maybe resident worst millennial... Because I never in my life have I never in my life had has it occurred to me to like do something. I'm like see them places and I'm like that's a uh, I don't know I don't know what you want me to do. (laughs) This is from the woman who I just saw Snapchat a bottle of wine. That okay corrections corner that was not Snapchat. What was it? That was a Snapchat. This was actually I am not on Snapchat. It looked just back in my day. Um, MySpace? What was it? it was, <laughs> so I was posting on my MySpace. You guys. Zanga? No. So this is actually a hot tip, and this ties back to um, uh, Gary Vee. So it's an app that the very lovely Ben Ben Ruby, who came in and gave us a social ben media Ruby. workshop, recommended for taking like pictures of food. Um, it's an app called Foodie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, oh. I really like it for low-light photos, which if you've never seen our studio, there's literally no light in it at all. Um, cause it just sort of makes things pop. So it's a, it's a really good app. It makes, uh, pictures of food look less gross. I'm getting it right so. now. Do any of you use Visco? Yes. Are you a Visco girl? Oh, this is what you were telling um, me about I don't the know. Visco I girls. just have a lot of stickers on my analogy. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. Do you guys know what a Visco girl is? Only cause you explained no. it to me the other day. So... You know the app TikTok? Do you, yeah. John, do you, you know, know Tik? You know, I know. I, this is news to me. You know TikTok? Because yeah. Gary V is all over the TikTok. Yep. He loves any new medium. He's like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do it the best? And he like he's all over it. Well, Visco girls are the like, I think they're Gen Z technically. They're like, you know, what? college age girls. They are kind of preppy, but in like, in like a slightly slouchy way. And they care about the environment a lot. So it's someone who's... It's a girl who's about 20 years old. She wears her hair in a bun with a scrunchie and an oversized t-shirt and carries a hydro flask and wants to save the turtles. And everyone's making fun of them, but I'm also kind of like, I don't know what's so bad about that. <laughs> Hannah is a Visco girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Hannah's giving so a I, I, I was waving my arms around, <laughs> um, holding my uh, steel water bottle. Uh, and it counts as a hydro flask. How do you feel about turtles? They're they're cool. Save them. I, I'm Save not Gen Z because I've never owned a jewel. I think that's the way that I know I'm not Gen Z. <laughs> when you say a jewel, you mean the vape thing? Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's like the defining thing. There's two types. There's two types of Gen Zers: jewelers and Visco girls. I'm like Joel, the sous vide cooker. 
from Chef Steps, the <laughs> other favorite kitchen device. <laughs> but see, yeah. Gary V's tapping into the the TikTok community. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting. It's a, it's addicting in a really scary way. Um, okay, let's take a quick break. Unless anyone has objections, we're gonna take a TikTok break. We're gonna scroll through TikTok for a second. I just downloaded the foodie app. We'll download TikTok next. Okay. Uh, and watch this some Gary, watch some Gary V videos. <laughs> Get motivated. And then we're going to come back, try our third wine, and play some trivia. We'll be right back. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Linda Liu, and I'm the host of Feast Meets West, the show that celebrates Asian culture through the lens of food here on HRN. Listen to episodes like The Evolution of Chinatown with Numwa Tea Parlors, Wilson Tang, and New York Times' Elaine Chen. Catch our ongoing series, Women in Asian Food, and spotlight episodes with our heroes like Anita Lowe. You can find Feast Meets West wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Thank you, Roberta's. <laughs> Every okay, time. We're back. Uh, we just looked at the foodie app, and it is quite excellent. Never doubt Ben Ben Ruby. Ben Ben Ruby. Shout out Ben. One of our favorite Ben Rubies. One of. One, <laughs> one of the of top Ben Rubies. One of in our, our top lives. ten Ben Rubies. <laughs> Yesterday was, I think, I think oh, Will, it was Will, Will ben Willie Ben Rubies. Willie Ben Rubies' birthdays. Yeah. Love all the Ben Rubies. I'm going to yes. ask a question to John that I think uh, Sam would be proud of because he was recently quoted in an article about how sommeliers typically like get a certification, leave the floor. It's kind of a pattern that happens in the industry. Yeah. Love your thoughts on that. Why is that kind of a pattern within the industry? And are they still sommeliers after they go to these other non-restaurant jobs? Uh, you know, being a sommelier is a grind. Yeah. The hours are tough. If you want to start a family, if you're, you know, it just after a while it wears on you. Yeah. And so I think people always look at it as uh, a means to an end to get another job in the industry a lot of the time, whether that be going on to be a winemaker or working in distribution or retail or whatever that might be. Um, the hours are tough. That was that was ultimately why mm. I got out of it. Yeah. yeah. Where And then where were you working? Uh, I grew up in a family that owned a couple of restaurants in Massachusetts. Cool. So yeah, I've always been around food and wine and. Yeah. We're, we're in Mass. Cape Cod. Got- uh, Are you a Mass guy? Yeah, uh, yeah, Framingham. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> a Mass yeah, guy. Not yeah. that other thing. Yeah. No. <laughs> mass hole. Loud and proud. Come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> um, do they still have restaurants out there? They do, yeah. Cool. Yeah, Let's just, give them a shout out. Yeah, Scargo Cafe. Just hit 33 years in wow, business. Yeah. Congratulations. That's yeah. my age and Matt's age. Uh, yeah. I thought that was a dig at Massachusetts. Like, oh, do they still have restaurants yeah. in Boston? <laughs> okay. Defensive much Bostonian. Can you find out when they open the restaurant? Because maybe it has the same. They have the same birthday. Oh, yeah. it could be. Oh yeah. yeah. These two were born on the same day. Same day, Feb- same year. February. Oh, I'm gonna nope. nailed it. Nope. nope. <laughs> yeah. uh, they're not part of our spiritual twin circle, yeah. but close enough. Yeah. We yeah, can appreciate. Darn close. close enough. Yeah. 
Um, um, I have a question, also kind of a Sam Benerby-esque question. Um, make, make Sam proud. Well, it's I, a question I just kind of want to know. A lot of airtime. I love Sam. I know. Well, you know, Sam is what a, another one of our sort of spiritual. We, we guys. owe him for letting <laughs> us come to fire. One of our, our favorite Ben Rubies. He is one of our. He's like actually one of my top five favorite Ben Rubies. Ben Rubies. I think yeah. of all time. Katie, Katie. Obviously, Katie's 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 the dog. Uh, guys, favorites guys, on the dog. Cooper is maybe the 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 fluffiest and cutest of the Ben. He's the softest Ben. He's definitely the softest. I haven't felt all the Ben. Okay, okay. I have a serious question, which is that John, I would like to know um, kind of your thoughts on the relative importance of the court of master sommeliers, given kind of like recent struggles with validity of the testing and, you know, how absolutely massive of an undertaking it is to study for the master sommelier exam is that still critically important is the industry changing are there other certifications what are your thoughts big question Sorry. really putting me on the big spot one. um but we have wine it's okay no i think it's it's an amazing body or group and it's an uh, awesome uh, infrastructure for people to be able to test their knowledge and ultimately get mentorship and kind of learn along the way um I do think, though, what's fascinating about the wine industry, which is actually true of probably so many industries now, whether that be restaurant industry, if you want to be a chef, if you want to be an engineer, whatever it might be, is that these institutional groups, like even colleges included, um, they're not necessarily the same necessity that they used to be because Mm -hmm. there's just access to information Mm -hmm. um, in ways that didn't exist before. Um, And like I would even put myself included where... I thought I had to follow this super specific path, which Mm -hmm. was, you know, you get your certification, then you get an advanced certification, then you become a master sommelier before ultimately you use that to go and parlay it into an amazing job, wherever that might be. Um, And for me, I took a different path and that was like being persistent with Twitter messages to this crazy guy in New Jersey. That is so Uh, wild. (laughs) Yeah. And so, but but so true. Yeah. And outside of being like a doctor or a lawyer or anything, we, you know, you put somebody at risk, like these groups don't necessarily need these certifications uh, the way that they used to. Well, interesting that you mentioned doctors too, because I have been wondering lately if there should be more subspecialization in wine, because there is so much that one could possibly know. It's a little bit like, how can you be a generalist when there is just such a massive level of detail that really no human being can take it all in? And wouldn't there be a lot of value in having these particular specialties where you are kind of the forefront expert? And I think we're seeing that more, and that's not exactly consistent with this model of like, everybody takes the same test. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And I think it's it's almost started to happen organically and naturally you know a Mm -hmm. guy like peter leem who's like the expert on all things champagne Mm -hmm. and all things sherry and like i i love that i think owning a niche and going really deep instead of trying to go wide across everything it just and just like regionally too is like it's kind of crazy that someone who focuses on american wines like is also tested on wines from all around the world like that doesn't really happen in other disciplines where like if you're a history professor you go specialize in like this this region's history why is wine different like why are we expected to understand like the whole global scene yeah should we start our own like wine school i think so are we doing that i think we just did that yeah yeah 
I think we're on to something. Okay, great. Porch Pounders Wine School. Porch Pounders. (laughs) (laughs) You can become a certified Porch Porch Pounderer. Pounderer. (laughs) Porch Poundier? (laughs) Yes. And that comes with a uh, a gala ticket if you spend this month. Oh, it totally does. (laughs) Everything involves a gala ticket. Podcast patrons, you are the first tuition... payers Grinders. into our new wine school. I think we should charge more for our wine school. <laughs> well, that gives you like a half a credit, you know. Like, yeah. Um, no, I really think that th- I think we're onto something yeah. here. I think that's really solid. I like it. Um, I think that like porch founders can hold classes at the, the Jets tailgate. Yes. Oh. There is no better venue. Although I tend to keep it pretty quiet, but as a mask guy, I'm a Patriots fan. <gasps> yeah. How? So I know nothing you. about football, but I think that you were happy yesterday, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been a good couple days. Yeah. Did you see that? I knew a sports thing. I don't really follow NFL because I went to Auburn. I went. I'm from Alabama, where we don't have professional yeah. sports. So yay, football! <laughs> no, Wait, does Alabama have not one professional sports? Team? Not of any of the sports. Really? None of the sports. Baseball, football, nothing. But you're All so sporty. We, uh, you make up for it with enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> All we have is college football. It's all that matters. Oh. What's it called when you? Can, is it? What do you? When do you? When you um, put your fist in a catfish? Canoodling? Noodling. Noodling. <laughs> Noodling. Canoodling's different. Canoodling's had, with a person. So I was in Alabama last what? weekend, and we Wait. had a whole long conversation Wait, about this. What? Do you not know what noodling is? Matt did horrible things to a catfish. You. No, it's, it's a way of fishing for catfish where you put your arm into them and then they like bite your arm. You, and you like pull them wiggle out of the your water. fingers around so it looks oh, like things they can eat. Wait, you didn't know. Love you that face. No, total news to me. Troutman. Yeah. yeah. You, you have a uh, fish-related name. <laughs> that wasn't um, on the song exam. Different <laughs> fish, Katie. Different fish. Yeah, it's I know, a but like, fish. well, you can also hand fish for trout. Yeah. Uh, I know. Um, but but like, look it up on YouTube. It's they bite your arm, but they don't have teeth. So you wait for them to bite your arm, and then you grab their jaw and you yank out it like can, a no, giant catfish. It can still be painful. No, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like oh, catfish oh, wait, are still big. a bad idea. It's, Incredible. But like, it's yeah, it's. it's I mean, more thing. extreme than that is the way people like quote unquote fish for snapping turtles. Where I'm from. Wait, how do they do that? Because actually, we have that? a snapping turtle <laughs> removal project. I mean, that I hope on. I hope PETA isn't listening, but you basically walk around and fairly shallow ponds until you step onto a snapping turtle and then you take a very long spear spear it through the shell and you haul it out that way yeah i would like to hear from somebody who's actually stepped on a snapping turtle yeah, and how many toes they have left <laughs> on a scale um, of one to toes <laughs> chris is a certified uh you know certified he's a he's a snapping turtle catching specialist because he used to work on his aunt's crawfish farm where snapping turtles were a real problem because they would eat all the crawfish. Oh, yeah. And so he had to, like, catch them. Yeah. But we have a snapping turtle in our pond right now, which is why this is all super relevant right now, because I'm like, um, well, I have to what get are we going to do about this? I'm nervous. I have to get my VHS tape digitized because it's from, like, the 1990s. But we have a videotape of an old guy in Alabama doing a tutorial on how to clean and eat a snapping turtle. So I'll get that right okay. over to you. And mm. once you get it, you got to get it. Step one, get it, but then eat it. Step one, get it. I mean, utilize that turtle meat is what I'm saying. All right. Well, come over. Okay. Help me with this thing. Which of these three wines would you say you would pair with a turtle? <laughs> would it be the third one that we're going to drink? Say the red. Is perfect the red? segue. <laughs> yes. This is a, cla- really a, a classic pairing. It's the... <laughs> Nice snapping turtle. Okay, but actually, I will say the turtle soup at um, Commander's Palace mm. in New Orleans is one of the best things I've ever eaten in my entire life. So don't knock it till you try it. Yeah, the first freshman class you take at Porch Pounders <laughs> Wine School is turtle um, pairing. Turtle pairing. 
when we said we'd go deep on specific subjects. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to try some red. <laughs> Can we talk about grapes? It, we, if we haven't gone off the rails, mm-hmm. it's not happy hour. Welcome, John. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, this is a blend of Petite Syrah, uh, Syrah, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Zinfandel, and a splash of Tempranillo, mm. and 1% Viognier, so Ooh, white wine grape. You're yeah. just like saying all of the varietals that I love. Like all of your blends are blends of Ooh. all the things that I want to drink. It's I was waiting to hear really. Barbera, because also the color. Let's talk about the color. Wow. Yeah, very inky, very, uh, very dark. Yeah. Um, that's the Petit Zeran Syrah, giving it a ton of color. Um, we, in a year one, so about a year ago today, I got a phone call that the fires were sweeping across a good portion of our, uh, where we source our fruit from. Um, and so this was intended to be a much greater percentage of Cabernet Sauvignon, mm. um, which we ended up losing a lot of our fruit. And so as a result of that, we ended up with a lot more Petit Zeran Syrah in it. I love it though. Yeah, yeah. thank you. It's so rich. Um, with the with the fires mm-hmm. um, and the, the sort of lingering effects, uh, we, you know, we heard kind of a lot of speculation that there would be um, a lot of the vines that survived would be starting to impart kind of smoke notes into wine. Did that materialize? Is that part of the terroir? What's you know, I had heard that too. And there are actually a lot of, even the growers themselves have a lot of theories about it. Um, some say, you know, hodgepodge is not going to happen. Yeah. There's no, yeah, there's nothing to it. Others that are like, oh, we'll wait and see. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm not educated enough to be able to answer it really. But um, we were we were really diligent about not including a lot of the fruit from last year. Even the one, a lot of it we were tasting and it's like, you don't even necessarily taste it when you're eating the fruit itself. It's only after fermentation that you realize that it's there. Yeah. So, um, so we ended up losing a good amount last year and just ridding it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Is it time? What? Uh, well, it's almost time for trivia, but um, let's talk about pairings. You know, we covered one already for this mm-hmm. wine, which is the snapping turtle soup. Um, but in all seriousness, what uh, what are you thinking for this? Yeah. So the wine, uh, super. It's got a real tannin structure. It's really a pretty big wine. Use the word rich. That's like the word that I've been using to describe it. It's it's a, a big wine. Um, I think it's it's such a uh, cliche pairing, but I think like a ribeye steak mm. with this wine is going to do really really well. Something that's got a fair amount of fat to it um, that can hold up to all that tannin is is the way to go. Yeah, I feel like I'm not always a huge proponent of uh, fruit and meat pairings. Mm-hmm. They have to be very well done, but this is like calling for like you know like grilled peaches and some sort of red you know lamb or something like really yeah. bold and sweet and pears and gorgonzola. I'm into that. Peaches yeah. and mint and yeah. like a steak. Yeah, I was gonna say like this is I regularly make Marcello Hassan's bolognese, and mm. this is the kind of wine I want with that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm coming over for dinner there. there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you bring a wine, you're invited yep. anytime. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Porch Pounders Supper Club. Yes. Oh. We have I'll a whole franchise. Them. I love it. This is already trademarked, listeners. I've already done it while we were sitting here. It's taken. Bought the website. It's <laughs> um, okay. Are we ready for some trivia? Do we have anything else we need to say about the wine? 
I, I think we, we got through all the major talking points. Head over to empathywines.com. That's yeah. the place to go. I, can you share the prices? I think people are interested to know it's been such a part of our conversation. Yeah. yeah. $20 price point. Wow. Um, yep. Free awesome. shipping included. What? Wow. Yeah. Wild, right? Wait, I can get a single $20 bottle of wine? You will... No. Okay. You're a madman. What you're disrupting is your own profitability. <laughs> Three, six, and twelve bottles. Oh, that's Great. good. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's totally doable. Yeah, yeah. Breaking, pack's coming breaking that bank. Delicious. Um, yeah. I, I, the red is my favorite. Of all. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that's the wine that, uh, frankly, I'm talking about getting into the business and the specifics of it. This is a wine that uh, we run really lean on, profitability-wise. Mm. Like, this mm. is this is the wine that is going to provide the most value. Yeah. Interesting. It's so delicious. Yeah. Yep. Look it for it. Empathy. So great. Makeup what, Is it sorry, what I, like would I say empathy red? Empathy red. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're keeping it pretty simple. Empathy what? red, empathy white, empathy so rose. Delicious. Thank you. Last question for you. I feel like there's a lot of like online marketing, especially right now, around like these all these wine clubs. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of these ads. What's your pitch for someone to just just buy from empathy and skip the whole wine club thing. Yeah. So, you know, it all depends on what you're looking for, first of all. And yeah. this is, uh, maybe I'm not using this time wisely, but like there are wine clubs out there where people who want to discover tons of new different wines, like, cool, that can be a cool way to do it. Um, although I would still probably recommend finding a wine shop you trust. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, that oftentimes, and this is where I'll knock wine clubs a little bit, um, a lot of them are just sourcing bulk juice, throwing a label on it, mm-hmm. and then they do great digital marketing to acquire customers. For us, it was super important. We could have done that at the earliest stages because um, I think we're great marketers and brand builders and we know how to acquire customers. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like that's not going to prevail. People want to believe in what they're tasting and they want to know that it's a really good product and being able to tell the story of how we're actually making this wine, the growers we're working with, um, was super important for us. So that's like, that's really our point of differentiation versus those other ads that you'll see on Instagram that are trying to convince you to join their club. Mm. Exactly. We talk so much about where our food comes from and knowing, being able to trace it back and same thing with wine. You want to be able to trace it back. And when you, some, some of these wine clubs, you just will never be able to figure it out. Yeah. And, and it all ties back to our voting with your fork or in this case with your glass um, you know, if you really believe in supporting a farmer, then this is a way better way to do that. So I'll just put that pitch in for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now it's time for trivia. And uh, before we do this, I want to give a shout out to our friend Esther, who was going to join us today, but couldn't join us. But the trivia theme ties into her a tiny bit because mm-hmm. she... Can you give a little background of who Esther is. Esther is the bomb. Esther is a dear friend of mine. We went to graduate school together. Um, she is a lawyer, but she also um, went to graduate school for food studies after practicing law for many years and is now getting into the very complicated realm of food law um, and particularly uh, has an interest in uh, marketing to children mm-hmm. and local agriculture, which is all culminating in some really exciting things in her career. And we're going to have her back on to talk about that. Um, she's in Albany right now kicking ass. Uh, shout out, Esther. Can't wait to have you on soon. Yes. Sounds like a badass. She, she really is. So we touched on this a little bit already, but our theme to bring this kind of all full circle is about wine and liquor laws. But it's not, it's not about like 
law, like textbook law, it's like a little bit more fun than yeah. that. Okay. And no <laughs> one... We, we do wish, this not my, my job co- style where we also like make you think it's going to be something that you have a lot of experience with and then we turn the tables on you. Gotcha. But to be fair, the, the three of us have not only... Kat's the only one who's seen the questions mm-hmm. and we also don't know anything about this so we can We're on flap around together. Got Shout out to our other co- co-founder, Nate. He knows more about wine law than... <laughs> And he, he basically is a lawyer at this oh, point, cool. so I wish That's he was awesome. here. It's important yeah. to know. Well, our goal would be to also stump him because usually our our uh, stated trivia theme gets a little twisted in the process. <laughs> it's more like historical questions, so he might he oh, might do okay. all, all right. So, okay, question number one. In 1979, President Jimmy Carter, shout out to Jimmy Carter. What, what? Signed, in my opinion, most underrated president. I'm just going to mm-hmm. put it out there. Love a peanut farmer. Okay. President Jimmy Carter uh, signed a bill into law that made it legal in the U.S. to produce how many gallons of wine per year? And this was in 1979. This is like as an individual person? As As an individual household. Mm. uh, uh, How many gallons a year? How many gallons a year could a household produce? Ten. 150. We'll play prices right answers. I love that guess, so I'm gonna go 151. Okay. Ooh. I'm Katie? gonna say 40. Yeah. It's one of us. So Katie wins because yeah. it was 100 gallons. Ooh, but that's also, a lot. but also, John wins because for a two adult household, it was 200. Oh. Ooh. All right. <laughs> Winner. There you go. Good job, Jimmy Carter. Okay. Thanks, Jimmy. Question number two. In what year was the 18th Amendment ratified, banning the manufacture and sale of alcohol and beginning the period known as Prohibition? 1934? Wait, starting Prohibition. Starting. Starting. The the worst one. 1919. 29. Or 21. 18. 19? Yeah. 19. Correct. And then um, it ended in 1933, but I think it it went into action in the 34. I wrote Hallelujah. I wrote several papers on prohibition. I was very fascinated with this era. Okay, number. I feel like you would three. have done really well as like a moonshiner doing prohibition. I agree. Wait, okay. I just have questions. Nineteen nineteen is when prohibition started. See? It was when uh, nineteen nineteen was when um, it was voted in, and then it went into effect in nineteen twenty. Okay, because it's so it's bizarre that you would start a law that stopped people from drinking, like. While World War One was no. okay, that's 19- a great segue to question number okay. two, three, three, three. Because that was like y'all counting is our specialty. That's why it takes four of us to figure out Excel. This is gonna maybe be a clue to like why that was, Hannah. Why did President Woodrow Wilson place a temporary prohibition on alcohol production in 1917? You needed the grain to feed everybody else. The troops. The troops. Amanda, hot with that correct answer. You know. <laughs> Yeah, we had entered World War One, and the government was trying to preserve the country's grain supply for food. So I think that might have... I feel like that's, like, part of a reason why it was more, e- like, easier to pass prohibition. Which was, like, such a stupid thing It's to like, do. when do people need to drink when, like, every man they know is at war? <laughs> Fair enough. And you're having to just, like, rivet all day. And, like, you're eating sawdust instead of flour. Like, I need a drink. Yeah. yeah. Give me that... Give me that moonshine. <laughs> okay, question number four. This is a fun one. Kansas law specifically prohibits serving wine in what surprising drinking vessel? Uh, ooh. A 
pint glass. No. <laughs> I want to say like like an, a horn, like a Viking. A coffee cup. A boot. You're very close, Hannah. <gasps> a mug. A, uh, a teacup. Water glass. Katie got it. Damn it. A teacup. Yeah. I want to know what happened. Why? Yeah. yeah, that yeah. seems like uh, somebody had a bad experience. Who drank wine out of a teacup and then did something crazy? Also, uh, like a, a teacup is a pretty good substitute wine glass. Yeah. Just so distinctive oh. memory of drinking red wine out of a teacup is when I was in college and um, <laughs> during uh, the election for Obama's second term. Yeah. And I was over 21, but was not allowed to drink on campus, and I had a coffee cup of red wine to get me through. <laughs> Excellent. And that was in Kansas? Oh. Nope. <laughs> no. Good enough. Good enough. Yankas. She would have been arrested. Uh, okay, last question. In which of these places is the, is the drinking age for wine the youngest? Is it New Orleans, Germany, Quebec, or British Columbia? Germany? Germany is, seems like a trick question, but it's got to be. It is Germany. Yeah. Definitely yeah. 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 Uh, Germany it, is 16. But I believe that's only for beer and wine. I think uh, spirits are 18 still. Mm -hmm. Quebec is 18. New Orleans is actually 18 with a guardian present. Really? Yeah. What? Love New Orleans. Wow. So um, they did that on the city level? I believe so. Because I know like the main reason that states all have 21 yeah. is yeah. for the highway funding. Yeah. Right. Vermont was the last state, I think. That yeah, but New, New Orleans the, has some weird stuff because they also like allow you to get daiquiris and drive-throughs. Former president of Middlebury College, uh, interestingly, my alma mater, um, was a big advocate for bringing the drinking age back down to 18 in Vermont. Yeah, I was a UVM guy. Oh yeah, yeah. all right. Yeah, go Vermont. Yeah, let's yeah. go 802. Yeah. Wait, was his argument that this was going to lead to like healthier drinking? Amongst yeah, the because like in college, especially, you know, binge drinking binge and like drink. kind of drinking behind closed doors and uneducated drinking in teacups, super hazardous. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like if you're like in your dorm room and you don't really know how to drink, and you're like, oh, I got some alcohol, I'm gonna just like quietly, quickly drink this all by myself real quick before I get in trouble. Is not the best. Uh, Healthiest. It's or, not, you know, like frat parties. Right. Um, Which are yeah. not healthy for many reasons. So many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I you think won you trivia. won trivia. Yeah. I did. Oh. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you look stunned. I did so much. 100 episodes deep, 100 <laughs> trivia winners. Here's Ooh, to 100 episodes. Nice. When did we start trivia, though? We didn't start trivia from the very beginning. Oh. It was close. Was it? Yeah. Hi. I mean, it's, you've had trivia since I started. Okay. This is when I was an, an, an intern, and I was like, I'm just going to come to the studio every single week, even when I'm not overtly invited and I've insinuated myself in. But and then we, we were like, that's how what? you're not an intern anymore. You're hired. <laughs> that's how it happens. You just keep showing up here long enough, and yeah. you become a staff member. That's like literally how we all got yeah. here. We're just okay. stalkers. So I'll yeah. see you next week. Yeah. Great. All right. <laughs> we know you're good at being persistent that's for these right. That's right. Well, that's the other thing is everybody who's been a guest on HR on Happy Hour is always invited to be our co-host on Happy Hour. So truly, in fact, anytime you want to come back, John, and join us, you are more than welcome. We'll roll out the red carpet for you. Careful what you invite me to do. I'll we be mean it. We mean it. <laughs> Thank you. It's um, always a little bit off the rails. As long as you know that, you're good. And Matt. What? You should come in the studio <laughs> more often. Yeah. I'm always, I'm right there. I'm right there. I know, Not but it's fun when you're here. Yeah, all right. We like it when you're here. I'll come. Thank you. 
Yeah, Daisy, we like it when you're here too. Can you guys I hear get, her right. in the back? She's like, I get really antsy. Oh, yes, are you going to sing us out? She's like, it's time to clock out. Daisy. Daisy? <laughs> Daisy, into the microphone. Daisy, okay, mic all, placement. Can we all sing happy birthday to Daisy before we... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Really happy birthday? Okay. Thank, okay. Thanks to Amanda. Thanks, Matt, Hannah, Katie. Thanks, Kat. Thank you. Thank you, John, so much. Thanks, Thanks John. Thank you. Thanks, John. Okay. Okay, ready? All right, Daisy. Ready? Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Daisy. Happy birthday to you. Daisy! That's our show. See you next week. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>